Hey, New City, so glad you are joining us today. My name is Nate Bush, get to be the lead pastor here at New City Church. We started a new series today called All the Feels. Okay, so this series is about our emotional health and emotional life. We'll be looking at uh, the book of Psalms. I took six various Psalms that will be the six messages of our series, and I'm really looking forward uh, to pursuing our feelings together a little bit uh, in this sermon series. Uh, before we get started, I just want to say uh, there will be some announcements coming up really soon over the next few uh, days, uh, letting you know about our step to progress. And so we announced last week a four-step plan. Uh, you may have looked at that plan and, and seen the video. Uh, we'll be moving from step one to step two. That will mean some changes for us at New City as we uh, work towards gathering in person. So keep praying for wisdom. Uh, keep praying for safety uh, for our church family. And we hope to take cautious steps forward towards in-person gatherings. That'll be a great blessing for all of us at New City. Uh, here's a major point before we jump into our study of the Psalms, is that Jesus is the subject of the Bible. The entire Bible is about Jesus. In fact, that was Jesus' view of the Bible. You see it in Luke 24. He said to his disciples, uh, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. <laughs> there it is, must be fulfilled. All right, so the Psalms are about Jesus. Uh, there's a, a, an old saying that I've used many times over the years. The Old Testament contains the New Testament concealed and the New Testament contains the Old Testament revealed. And what we are seeing as we're reading the book of Psalms is some revelation about Jesus. And so there are three points of introduction before we dive into our study today, three points of introduction you need to know. The first is that Jesus is the primary singer of the Psalms. That's our view here. That Jesus is the primary singer of the Psalms. Listen to the words of uh, St. Augustine, one of our uh, early church fathers. When you sing the Psalms, you are <laughs> you're actually singing the songs of Jesus, with Jesus as your song leader. One book I've leaned into heavily in the preparation for this series is a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, called The Psalms, uh, The Prayer Book of the Bible. Listen to the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If we want to read and pray the prayers of the Bible, and especially the Psalms, therefore we must not ask first what they have to do with us, but we have to do, but what, but what they have to do with Jesus Christ. We must ask, how, can, uh, how we can understand the Psalms as God's word, and then we shall be able to pray them. And so we're asking first, what does this have to say about Jesus? That's how we are approaching this study in the Psalms. So the three points are, Jesus is the primary singer of the Psalms. Uh, we are in the choir singing with Jesus. John Calvin said it this way. Christ is the great choir master who tunes our hearts to sing God's praises. And so we are, as we're singing the Psalms together, singing with Jesus directing the choir. Uh, that's how we're to see ourselves engaging with this text. Uh, I, I've leaned into as much with Dietrich Bonhoeffer as I have with Christopher Ash in his book, Teaching the Psalms. Listen to what Christopher Ash has to say. If the Gospels give us Christ's deeds and words, the Psalms open a window into his heart. And as we see into his heart, we are given a glimpse of the eternal relationship of love between the Father and the Son. This alone would be good enough reason to read the Psalms. So Psalms are, are instructing us into something of the heart of Jesus, the emotional life of Jesus. 
And so Jesus is the primary singer of the Psalms, is how we're seeing it. Uh, we are the, in the choir singing along with Jesus. And lastly, and this is very important for our current cultural context, when Jesus was under pressure, the Psalms were squeezed out of him. When Jesus was, un, was under pressure, and in, in, the, in the most high pressure moments of Jesus' life, what was squeezed out of him under that pressure were the Psalms. Look to Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27. What does Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from Psalm 22.1. When Jesus is about to, 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 to die on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Quoting from Psalm 31.5. So when Jesus was under enormous pressure, what was squeezed out of him were the Psalms. We are all, (laughs) right now, under enormous pressure. And so what's being squeezed out of you? Isn't that interesting? I mean, Jesus in his, in the most high pressure moment, at the very edge of death itself, what's squeezed out of him are the Psalms. Here we are. In a, in a high pressure moment in our society, what's being squeezed out of you? You see, as the physical consequences of the pandemic begin to burn out, like you, I mean, you, don't, have to, you don't have to have a crystal ball to predict this. As the physical consequences of the pandemic begin to burn out, the psychological consequences will flare up. You can expect as we begin to get back to normal, there's going to be some lasting impact. That lasting impact is going to be a lasting impact on our emotional and psychological health. The psychological trauma we are experiencing is because our nature is being violated. There are things that are sort of hardwired in all of us as, huma- as humans that are being violated in the ways that we are trying to preserve society and care for others. And I think they're the right things to do, but we can't deny that we're in doing some right things that we are causing some harm that we need to be aware of. We were made for relationships, not isolation. We, we were made to be in relationship with other people. In fact, God said it's not good for man to be alone. We need to be in relationship. And isolation is a violation of how we're made and what we, what we need to be fully human. We were made for work, not for government stimulus. I mean, government stimulus is good, and I'm glad it's happened. I'm glad people are being protected, and, and, and hopefully you know, we, can, we can mitigate uh, any, any economic disaster coming to people's lives. But listen, we were made to work. In fact, work was given to us as a, as a gift. It's a part of the pre-fall reality. We were made for truth, not fake news. And we're living in a world where people are beginning to distrust all the news they're hearing from any source. And Jesus, when he says, he says, listen, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is, a, is, is hardwired value. Into, I mean, we, we can't be fully human and trust and build relationships without some economy of truth being shared. We were made for unity, not for polarization of partisan politics. Part of what Jesus is at work restoring is humanity. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, you come across the theme of Jesus uniting humanity, every tongue, tribe, and nation, that he breaks down the dividing walls of hostility that separate humanity, brings together one new man. What what God is doing is fixing what's broken in the world. What's broken in the world is disunity and polarization. Those are not what make for human flourishing. We were made to bear the image of God, not to break the image of God free from our perceived adversaries. 
what's been happening as the cultural climate gets more intense and as the emotions start to rise is people begin to rage and you can only let rage burn in you if you begin to remove the person you're raging against from the community of humanity. And what's happening is that people are removing from one another they're, they're, the, the fact that they are image bearers of God and uniquely valuable to him and uniquely valuable in, in their essence, in their very being. Here's my concern. You can only suppress negative feelings for so long. Avoided negative feelings eventually become unavoidable negative behaviors. And so we're coming into a time where the pressure has been cooking for some time and we're seeing things culturally that we don't want to see. Somebody said today that racism isn't on the rise, it's just being recorded. What you're, what you're seeing and witnessing in the world is, is you're, you're witnessing that when people get squeezed, when sinners get squeezed, sin comes out. There, there, is a, there is an emotional climate right now in our world that is rising. And as Christians, we need to learn how to and need to know how to manage our emotional state. We need to learn something about the heart of Christ. We can learn something about our own heart. And none of us has the strength to carry the psychological burden we're carrying without help. We need help. And Psalms can help us sing and pray under pressure with confidence because Jesus is our song and prayer leader. And so what we want to do is we want to have, when we're squeezed, have the gospel coming out of us. When we're squeezed, we want to have the goodness of Christ flowing through us. We want to have, we want to have the, the mercy and the justice and the love of Jesus flowing out of our veins when we're squeezed. So how are we to read the Psalms this series? What's our approach? This is not a common approach to the Psalms, and I, I recognize that, but it is, a, I think, an approach that is Christ-centered, and I think you'll find very fruitful. We're gonna first ask the question, what is true of David uh, if, if David wrote the Psalm? We'll ask that of whoever wrote the Psalm, but these are the collection of the Psalms that are attributed to David. Most of them are written by David, so we'll just say, what is true of David? Then we ask the question, what is true of Jesus? In light of the psalm, how can, how can we see, so we have David the king, but then we have the true and better king, Jesus. What's true of Jesus? And then, then we ask, what is true of me? A traditional way of reading the psalms is just to cherry pick the ones that sound good that you want to apply to your life, but I think we've got to do a better job studying the psalms than that. We've got to say, what, what is true to the writer of the psalm? As best we can tell, what is true of Jesus in light of the psalm? Because Jesus said, the psalms are pointing to me. And what is true of me? in light of what's true of Jesus. And so let's, let's, go, let's go in that order. What's true of David? We see in Psalm 3 a title, which is an important title, one that, this is not one that translators later added. This is a part of, we should see this as part of the psalm, and we can, it's, it's fine to be able to read it as part of the psalm. A psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? You see I highlighted many here because what you're gonna see in these opening verses of the psalm, David fleeing from his son is going to have a sort of spiraling downward effect. Right. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. 
See, David's life has, in fact, spiraled out of control. Uh, In Tim Keller's book on the songs of Jesus, he said David's son Absalom was trying to kill him. The seeds of that family dysfunction are David's own fault. He wanted Absalom's love so much that he never corrected him. Evil and Absalom murdered one of his brothers. Now David is fleeing uh, to save his own life. David, in fact, right now, in this current moment of the writing of the psalm, is bracing for what looks like complete loss of everything. Uh, You see this in 2 Samuel 15. He receives word from a messenger. The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom, your son. He's a very attractive, winsome young man, crafty, clever, has now led an uprising to overthrow his dad in his kingdom. And the poles are in, says the messenger. Everybody's heart is with Absalom and it's not with you. Which is why he prays in Psalm 3, 2, there is, <laughs> many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. The, the, the poles are in, the hearts of the people are not with you anymore. All is Lost. David is fleeing or feeling the full weight of his brokenness and his fleeing. He's feeling the full weight of his brokenness. In fact, as he's fleeing the city in 2 Samuel 16, <laughs> you see that somebody is throwing stones at David and all the servants of the king and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said, as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Christopher Ash, looking at this moment, says, if you add any guilty conscience about Bathsheba and the arranged death of her husband Uriah, the thoughts in David's mind must have made a toxic mix of despair. Perhaps they're right. Maybe God will not rescue me. He must have thought. So David's life is spiraling, spiraling out of control. He is looking at the possibility of losing everything. David's only hope then is in the covenant faithfulness of God. Listen to what he says in verses three and four. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So you're gonna protect me and you'll lift my head and you'll give me victory. I won't have to hold my head in shame anymore as I left being stoned. I'll lift my head as victor. I know that's gonna happen, Lord. You are my shield and you're gonna give me victory. I cried aloud to the Lord. Here's my assurance of victory. He answered me from his holy hill. I cried to the Lord. He answered me from his holy hill. See, he prays for protection and victory solely on the grounds of God's promises. That's where David is finding his assurance, the promises of God. In Psalm chapter two, verse six, the scripture reads, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That God had given David the, (laughs) the kingship. And when God made David king, God said this to David, your throne shall be established forever. We now know that is a promise that God kept because Jesus is a descendant of David who establishes God's throne forever. It's a kingdom that will never end. So here David is leaning into the covenant faithfulness of God, saying, I I believe that you're gonna protect me and I believe that you'll provide me victory because you promised it. He, He can't find the security in his own activity, his own behavior, because that has brought on the despair that he is in. See, David can rest now without fear because of his confidence in the covenant faithfulness of God. And so you see in verses five and six, I lay down and slept. 
I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I slept and God sustained me. I will not be afraid. I'm not gonna be afraid, I'm gonna sleep deeply. I'm gonna sleep, I'm gonna sleep uh, in such a way that I know God is sustaining me. And I'm not afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. See, David is confident that his accusers will be put to shame because of the covenant faithfulness of God. So he, he's, he's just resting, and, he's, and he's, he's, he's confident in God's victory. He's confident in God's provision. He's not worried. And he says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Now what's this mean? Lots of different things this could mean, but I think one of the things that he has in mind here is the accusation of his enemies. He said, how, how silly would they look if you broke their teeth out, accusing me, saying, the Lord won't save you, the Lord won't save you, you know, and, and he's just sort of making, sort of a, a, a <laughs> he's saying, make them look silly, shame them. Many are saying of my soul in verse two, there's no salvation for him and God. Knock their teeth out. Like make what they're saying is so silly and so shameful. See, David has made a mess, an absolute mess of things. He has made a mess that only God can save him from. And that's how he concludes the psalm. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. And so David is in an absolute mess. He's got a family that's broken apart. In fact, at the end of this mess, his son Absalom will die. He'll be, he'll be restored as king. But this is a story of brokenness. And truly, salvation belongs to God and to God alone. So what does this have to do with Jesus? What, what is true of Jesus and this psalm? Well, there is a king, David. There was a true and better king, that's Jesus. And Jesus' life was under constant threat, and he too had many accusers. That's something that Jesus can relate to. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Think to Mark chapter three, verse six. The Pharisees went out, immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. They talked about how to destroy Jesus. That was their objective. So Jesus, the true and better king, had many enemies. And when his enemies were persecuting him, as he was being prepared for the cross, he saved himself. <laughs> he, he saved others. He cannot save himself, they, they cried out. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. <laughs> and, we, and we'll believe him. They're mocking him. Look at Matthew 27, 43. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now. If he, desire, if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And so they mocked him. But Jesus, in his ministry, continually placed his hope in the Father. You read in David's psalm, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. He answered me according to his covenant promise. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, anticipating the agony of the cross, he says, now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name, Jesus says. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. 
And God assures Jesus of his covenant faithfulness. See, Jesus rested in his faith. Uh, the psalm says, I lay down and slept. I mean, everything is falling apart around me. Life is in total chaos, says David, but I laid down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid for many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You know, there's a time in the ministry of Jesus when there's a, a, just a, an incredible storm and everyone is freaking out, fearing for their lives, except for Jesus. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And Jesus was able to, because of faith, sleep. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, Jesus calling out with a loud voice went into the ultimate sleep, death. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus went to sleep and death in peace. Because he believed in the power of resurrection. He trusted in the covenant faithfulness of God. And in his resurrection, Jesus put to shame his accusers through that victory. Jesus put to shame his accusers through the victory of his resurrection. Arise, O Lord, says the psalmist. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. And in Colossians 2.15, we just studied Colossians as a church together. We read that in the resurrection of Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He put them to open shame and he triumphed over them. He took all those accusations and he said, look now, I've overcome sin, I've overcome death. See, Jesus is the savior and salvation only comes through his name. Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And I'm reminded of Acts chapter four, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. So how are we to read the Psalms in this series? Well, we're gonna ask first, what, what is true of the author of the Psalm? What's true of David? What is true of Jesus? And in light of that, what's true of me? Well, the pressures of life coupled with accusation can have my life quickly spiraling out of control. I've been under pressure, as, as you have. And I don't always perform at my best under pressure. And when I'm not performing at my best under pressure, it is natural for me to listen to that inner voice of accusation, saying, look at this fault, and look at that fault, and look what you've done wrong. 
Oh Lord, how many are my foes? I'm not a king. I don't have thousands of enemies coming in around me. I'm not running to the hills to hide in a cave. So how can I relate to this? Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Well, like David, sometimes the mess I'm in is my own making. That's how I can relate to it. Sometimes I find myself in a mess that is a mess of my own making. And like David, the accusations are sometimes true of me. Sometimes I have failed, and the accusation is just pointing out a truth about me. And under pressure, I'm often not my best self, and that's something I've had to come to terms with. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want that part of me to show up. How, how do I pray the Psalms into my life to where, to where when I'm squeezed, the, the gospel comes out of me, like when Jesus was squeezed, the Psalms come out of him. Well, I've had to learn how to put my hope in the faithfulness of Jesus. In the psalm, but you, O Lord, are a shield. Jesus is my shield. About me, my glory. And the lifter of my head, Jesus is the one who gives me victory. I, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Jesus answers me according to his covenant promise. You see, Jesus is my shield. That's who he is. He's my shield. When the flaming arrows of accusation come at me, I hold up the shield of faith and say, I'm not defined by my failures. I'm defined by Christ's righteousness. Jesus is my victory. Listen, I am, a, I, I am of the audience that is more than a conqueror because of Christ. He overcame my sin. He overcame my death. And my head is held high, not in shame because of what Christ has done for me. I have victory in Jesus. And I also know that Jesus will never let me go and never let me down. He will keep his promises. Keep your life free from the love of money, says the author of Hebrews. Be content with what you have. For he has said, what has he said? What has he said to you and me? Jesus said to you and me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never let you go and I will never let you down. This changes how you sleep. When you know that Jesus is your shield, when you know that Jesus, through Jesus you have victory, when you know that no matter what, not height, not depth, not angels, not demons, I mean, nothing separates you from the love of God, it changes how you sleep. And we can rest unafraid because Jesus rose from his rest. The psalmist says, I lay down and slept. And in verse six he says, I will not be afraid. What is, what is there to be afraid of? The Bible says that if the father gave you a son, what would he withhold from you? Jesus said, I, I, will, I will be with you even to the ends. I'm gonna be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you have right now in your possession a personal relationship with Jesus, the one who spoke stars into existence, the one, the one who breathed breath into humanity, the breath of life, if he is your, your friend, if he's your savior, if he's your Lord, What do you have to be afraid of? See, every pain points to Jesus, our Redeemer. 
I'm reminded that in Revelation 21, five, behold, I'm making all things new. Listen, there, there, there is no storm. There's no storm of life. There's no pandemic. There's no emotional storm inside of you. There's no storm that can, res- <laughs> that can resist Jesus when he says, peace be still. When Jesus says, peace be still, the storm ceases. And we can rest in the storm because Jesus rests in the storm. We, we, can, we can rest because we can have faith in him who is faithful. See, Jesus has turned every accusation of failure into an accusation of his grace. We can rest. That, that internal storm that rages inside of you, that's a constant reminder of your failings and your shortcomings and all the things you're not, all the things you're worried about, all the uncertainty of your future. Let me tell you something. Jesus has turned every accusation of failure into an accusation of his grace. All the pain is just a reminder of what he's redeeming. All the suffering is just a reminder of what he's restoring. Like all, all, all the tears are just a reminder that one day he's wiping them all away and there will be no more. In Psalm 3, 7, we read, Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. One of the causes of emotional distress, I mean, there are lots of them, and I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm not talking about clinical things. Just run-of-the-mill, average, everyday kind of blueness, sadness, is that we let our thoughts run inside of us unchecked and unchallenged. Every once in a while, we gotta take the gospel and we gotta grab some thoughts and just knock their teeth out. I hope that's not too graphic. <laughs> but sometimes we gotta do it. Sometimes we gotta, we gotta say, that's not true, that accusation's not true of me. You know what's true of me? I possess the righteousness of Jesus, that's what's true of me. You know what's true of me? My failures don't define me, Christ's righteousness defines me. That's what's true of me. And my greatest failures elevate the love of my great savior. Just keep putting him on display. And I don't have to make a name for myself in this world because the only name that matters to me is the name of Jesus. And sometimes the, the, the punch you need in your, in your mind and in your heart when things are going crazy inside of you, you just need to bring Jesus in and let him put the gloves on and just go to town on those negative thoughts because Jesus will preach the gospel. Died for that, covered it, overcame it. You're my beloved child. There's nothing I, would, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. And look at what I've already done for you. And you just, you just start looking at Jesus and, and he's not just a God who makes promises. He's a God who lived the life that you couldn't live and died the death you should have died. Was buried in the grave, rose again, conquered your sin and death. Sometimes that accusing voice in your mind comes at you hot and heavy. And it's, and it's got you tired. And I, I mean, I don't know how many times we've said in our home, in light of all the stay-at-home stuff, man, I, I'm tired. Part of the reason I'm tired is I'm not sleeping well. Part of the reason I'm not sleeping well is because my, my brain's running like a million miles an hour. 
You can never work hard enough to satisfy your critics in your life, especially when you're the critic. You'll never be able to work hard enough. Rest in Jesus. Rest in him. He is everything you have failed to be and his life is now yours. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God the Father made Jesus his son to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God which is a reminder to you and me that my salvation belongs to Jesus. It belongs to him. You are not the savior. You can't save. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings beyond your people. This is the good news. You are not the Savior, but you know who is. There's a little note that you might have recognized I didn't read in the Psalms. You see it in verse eight here. The Salah. It's an interesting note. It's a note that's likely a cue to some kind of musical break. It's hard to know. Scholars really don't know the exact intent of it. The Psalms were either chanted or sung along with instruments. Martin Luther gives us a hint here that I think is important for us to remember in light of where we are. Salah is telling us to pause and reflect diligently on the words of the psalm. For they require a calm and tranquil soul who's able to grasp with understanding what the Holy Spirit is presenting to his thought. It's a reminder to pause. I have had seasons, intense seasons of emotional distress. I've mentioned in other sermons that I have seen a therapist at times. I have uh, friends that I lean into heavily for my uh, emotional well-being and emotional health. One of the books that during one of the darker periods of my life, uh, probably the darkest period of my life, about a year's time, a book that served me well was a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The big takeaway for me in that book was that you can't, you can't just work and work and work and work and expect the emotional health to go away. Like, eventually, undealt with emotional stuff begins to deal with you. And in the book, Peter Scazzaro says, allow yourself to experience the full weight of your feelings. Allow them without censoring them. Then you can reflect and thoughtfully decide what to do with them. Trust God to come to you through them. And so I wrote, you cannot work your way free from emotional pressures of life because you're not a human doing, you're a human being. And you can't just turn yourself into human doing, thinking you can work yourself out of the emotional pressures of life. Sometimes you have to hit the pause. And let the scripture saturate your soul. 
And you might go back to Psalm 3 and spend some time reading Psalm 3 and say, what is true of me in light of what's true of Jesus in the psalm? In this series, my hope is that we'll be able to have some moments just to hit pause and to reflect. I don't know if, like you, but watching the news this week, watching the news this week has, has been difficult. It brings back personal narratives for me personally. It, uh, it makes me hurt for my, for my friends who, who haven't experienced in American society at times what it means to, to be fully human in the eyes of some. The, the, I mean, the only reaction that I know how to have is, is repentance and prayer. I do know that my natural response when things are hard is to shove it down and to work really hard and hope it'll go away. I think that's probably an American response, which is why we have some American emotional issues that are cultural issues, some real racist issues that have not gone away because we keep wishing them away. Never done the courageous stuff of just looking into our hearts, dealing with our emotions, being honest. And so I appreciate, as I've been studying, that many commentators have said, as you're reading the Psalms, you're not just hearing about what Jesus has done, you're hearing about what Jesus feels. And I think we need to, we need to hit pause, we need to really look deep inside of ourselves and say, what am I feeling and why am I feeling that? Is it connected to the gospel? I don't have a way to tighten, to tighten this up. I don't have a way to end this well. Um, I'm just gonna say we, we end our services with prayer, communion, and generosity. Maybe a part of your prayer this week could be prayers of repentance, prayer for healing for our country, healing for our nation, not only physically, but psychologically, emotionally. But you could also be praying that way for yourself. Just pray for emotional healing. We have a time for, for communion. Uh, that's on your own at the season. Uh, break the bread. Remember, remember Christ's body broken for you. Take the cup. Remember, remember his blood shed for you. And it's a time of generosity. We encourage you to be generous to New City Church. We got some good news coming about our uh, facility and how things are moving forward. And so stay tuned in the future for that. But keep being generous. The Lord uh, is blessing New City with opportunities to both serve the poor, but also to advance the kingdom work uh, through our, our local ministry expression. So we're really glad uh, for what God has done for us. We have in form been praying a prayer together at the end of service, and I hope this prayer will, will be helpful for you. I would encourage you to pray along wherever you are. Just pray aloud. Uh, Lord and Savior, I'm facing so many troubles, some of my own making. But I can hold my head up because I am your child and servant. So be my shield, protect me. Be my glory, give me confidence that you are with me and will bring me through this. In you, Lord Jesus, I rest. Help me. Amen. God bless.